0: you can trust the vine dresser. He is committed to seeing you pastors and leaders bearing much fruit for His glory. Don't despise the rocky, hard soil because that is the place where the most fruitful growth happens.
1: Well, hey, friends, welcome to a special episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Network. Next week, we kick off a new season. And I'm so excited about the conversations that we have prepared for you. Next week, I get to share with you a conversation I had with my pastors growing up, with Derwin and Angel Gray from Hillside Community Church. And we just recorded the conversation with them, and it was stunning. It was one of the most fun I've had recording one of these episodes and some of the most important themes that we're able to address. So that's coming out next week. And this week we just wanted to jump into your thread to share a little bit about what's happening in the CCLN world, and then share a special talk with you from one of our gatherings. So first, three things happening. One is we are launching a new intake of the Emerging Leaders Lab. This is a program designed for young pastors who wanna be around other pastors growing in the craft of pastoral ministry. All the details can be fine for this and the other events we're talking about online. Second is we're sold out of our pastor's retreat. But this is something we're really excited to continue to do, to create environments where pastors can actually get rest and connect with one another. And so we partnered with Barnabas to host our first pastor's retreat, and uh, we're thrilled that there's a felt need for this. And so if you want to find out more about this retreat and other ones we're doing, you can find out for that online or jump on the waiting list. We're really committed to doing this more often and opening up space And then lastly, this March, we are coming uh, east to Ontario, to Mississauga for the Canadian Youth Pastor Summit East. It's happening in March. We've got room for youth pastors who want to grow in the craft, connect with other youth pastors uh, from across Canada. So if you are a youth pastor, come and join us. Or if you are a pastor or friends with a youth pastor, could you encourage them to come and join us? It's going to be a really life-giving time. Okay, so today we want to share a talk that Elita Friesen shared at one of our Spiritual Formation events. A number of months ago, we were able to host, uh, in partnership with Practicing the Way, Tyler Staten, John Mark Comer, Ken Shigamatsu, and Elita Friesen for a one-day conference on the topic of spiritual formation in the life of the church. And Elita closed the conference with a beautiful talk on abiding in Christ. And it really reflected the call that as we lead people, to a deepening relationship with God as pastors that we ourselves need to abide deeply. And so in this special episode, we just thought it would be a great way to start the year with this reflection. And so without any more commentary, here's that talk from Elita.
0: Well, over the course of the last few years, it has been a a real joy for me to meet different uh, pastors and ministry leaders from across. Canada. And one of my very favorite things about meeting other people in ministry is hearing about their different church contexts and about the specific people groups that God has called them to serve. And I just love, I love hearing about what God is up to in the scattered parts of his church. I just love it. But one thing I began to notice, and particularly in the last year, I would say, is that many of these conversations that I was having with different pastors and leaders, they were mentioning how unusually tired they were. Maybe that's not a surprise, but it was as though all of these different conversations I was having with different people had the same thread running through all of them. Men and women still feeling called to ministry, very much so, but also feeling very much fatigued. In fact, in just the last five days, The last five days, I've had four of these different conversations with pastors and leaders. Men and women who are wanting to be faithful, but simultaneously just feeling that kind of, you know, weary to the bone feeling. And if the stats are right, they aren't alone. If that's you and you're here, you're not alone. According to a Barna study done at the beginning of 2021, 29% of the pastors that they polled said that they had seriously considered quitting full-time ministry that year. Interestingly, Barna ran that same study again this past year, and the number of pastors who said they had seriously considered quitting full-time ministry had jumped, I think significantly, from 29% to 42%. Of the reasons given, the top two were that they were stressed and they were lonely. Maybe some of you can identify. And you know, these statistics are probably not shocking to many of us, We know, as we've heard today, that the social landscape in both the US and Canada has changed drastically over the last several decades and longer, and pastors and ministry leaders are facing enormous challenges. We've seen racial and political unrest. We've seen the rising deconstruction movement among millennials, which, without getting into the nuance of it all, is not necessarily all bad, but the church has often struggled in our response to that. We've seen the rise of the internet and social media and the way it has shaped and is shaping culture. And we're facing the reality of having to pastor and lead ministries in a post-Christian world where Christendom is just no longer the norm. Uh, According to a study done last year by the Institute for Family Studies, it's a a religious research group, they found that 57% of Americans now say they never or seldom attend church. That same survey found that 67% of Canadians never attend church. Canada, we won at something. I'm not sure it was the right thing to win at, but we had a higher percentage there. And as a result, churches are permanently closing, selling their buildings to cities to be torn down. And Christendom is just no longer the norm. It's not the assumed way of life anymore. And then in the middle of all of that, we had a global pandemic. And so it's no wonder that pastors and leaders have become very, very tired. And many, as we've heard, are hovering on the edge of burnout. And I don't know all of our stories in the room, but for some of us, that might be our story. You're here, you're tired, you're still, you're still doing the thing, but you're kind of wondering how much you've got left in the tank. Like, is there an expiration date on this? I'm not quite sure. And so as I was praying for our time together and asking the Lord, what might you want to say to us? And I just think it's, it is not lost on me what a privilege it is. I don't know if you, I love being in rooms like this. My dad is a pastor. And so I, he would just bring me along to these kind of things. And for my whole life, I've just always loved it. I just think it's such a privilege to be in a room of people who are leading churches. It's not lost on me. But asking the Lord, what might you want to say to us when you've got us all together? I mean, you've got us there. What do you want to say? How might you want to encourage us? That was the word I was hoping. Like, how do you want to encourage us, Lord, as we leave today? And the word that kept coming to my heart, and in fact, it has been on my heart for the better part of the last year, is the word remain. Remain. And it isn't an obvious word. Maybe it isn't one of those things where I just went searching for it. It's more um, one of those situations where it just kind of came out of left field, just out of nowhere, and then you kind of start seeing it everywhere, one of those situations, you know? And so then, I don't know about you, but when that kind of thing happens to me, I began to ask the Lord, okay, okay, what, Lord? What what is it about this word? What is it about remaining that you want to teach me? And so I found myself in John 15. And in fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me now, John chapter 15, I'm going to read the first eight verses. And as I read, I'm reading out of the NIV, by the way. As I read, I want you to notice how many times the word remain comes up. You can count in your head if you want. So, John chapter 15, verses one through eight. Lord, bless the reading of your word. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Eight verses. And if you are counting, you'll know that Jesus uses the word remain. Anybody? Eight times. Wow, that fell really flat, guys. Eight times. Eight times Jesus says remain. And you know, when there's a word repeated like that in Scripture, it should cause us to pay attention And the word remain here interesting, in the original Greek, it's an imperative, which is to say that it's a command, not a suggestion. It's a command. So here in John 15, Jesus is issuing a command to his disciples and by extension, issuing a command to us, essentially saying, I am commanding you to stay connected to me. To abide in me is the other word that we often read in John 15, abide, remain attached to me. I'm commanding you to continue to be present to me, which is a literal translation of that word. Continue to be present to me. I love that. And it's not just imperative so that you can be fruitful, but it's imperative for your survival. So the question that I have then, which has been posed a lot today, is how When I read these things in scripture, I always just like, I I don't know about you, but I come to scripture and I always ask questions. I'm like, all right, you're telling us that we need to do this, but how do we do it? How do we do the thing? How are we to remain attached to the vine? And not just as pastors and, and leaders, but as followers of Jesus, how do we do this? How do we remain in this for the long game? How do we keep doing this this long obedience in the same direction, no matter what comes in the days ahead. How are you and I to remain faithful to him? And I don't know about you, but I do want to be found faithful. Sure, yes, as a pastor, leader, teacher, but much more basic than that. I want to get to the end of my life and look Jesus in the face and know that I have been faithful as a follower of him, that I have remained connected to him, that I'm still in love with him, that I'm still enjoying his presence, and I'm still, as Tozer says, in pursuit of the one that I've already found. That's what I want at the end of my life. So then how? How are we supposed to actually do this? How are we to remain attached to the vine? How are we to remain attached to Jesus? Look back at verse 1, because I think that verse 1 actually gives us the answer. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. There is a gardener in this story, and I think, I think, that he often gets overlooked whenever we read this or, or whenever it's been taught. Maybe I'm just projecting my own history on you, but I often have read this and not ever even realized that there was a gardener. Usually we see uh, Jesus as the vine and us as the branches, which is good and true and right. But we also have a God who is our gardener. And what do gardeners do? They tend, they take care of around on the outside. Now other translations, they don't use the word gardener, they use the term vine dresser. If you have the ESV, it would say vine dresser there. And that actually might be my favorite translation and probably the most accurate translation of what Jesus is getting at here because most scholars agree that Jesus was describing a grapevine. And I want you to know that this week I thought to myself, how great would it be if I like had a visual aid, like a like a grapevine potted and we'd be like big on a trellis, kind of like the illustrations we've already used. And um in fact Tyler had I well, there's not a TV there anymore, but Tyler had on the TV, there was a picture of the grape, um, of the of grapevines, and it was beautiful. I didn't think of a picture. I thought of an actual, like, I should just bring one in a pot. And I had the audacity, I want you to know, to actually go in person to garden centers and ask them with a straight face, do you have a grapevine in a pot that I could maybe, and they were like, you know, it's February in Canada. It's not, this is not gonna, we don't have anything. So, But I asked and I went to more than one. I didn't take no for an answer. They tried to sell me other things. So we don't have a visual aid. They did. And I thought, okay, I thought it would be really funny because they tried to, there was this big, beautiful money tree and I thought, (laughs) that feels really funny to bring to a room full of pastors. I don't have a grapevine, but I do have a money tree. Here we go. Um, So anyways, no visual aid, but you guys know, we've already seen it, thanks Tyler, for the visual aid earlier but we can bring to your mind what a grapevine looks like. So the question, how are we to remain attached to the vine to Jesus? I want to suggest to you that the way we remain attached to him is by trusting the work of the vine dresser. I got really, really deep into learning about grapes and wine and vines and vine dressers, and I, like, it was It was so fascinating to me. I just loved it. I loved every bit of it. And I found out that the job description of a vine dresser is quite long. I was going to read you the whole thing, decided not to, you're welcome. But just so you know, they do a lot. Vine dressers do a lot. And um, so for the sake of time, I want to just tell you about two things um, that a vine dresser does and how these two aspects of his job help us to remain attached to Jesus, okay? So here are the two things that God as our good vine dresser does. He plants us and he prunes us. He plants us and he prunes us. So first, the vine dresser, he plants. He plants a grapevine. And he doesn't just plant a vine anywhere. I found this so fascinating. The kind of soil that grapevines need in order to thrive isn't like nice, smooth, easy soil. In order to thrive, grapevines actually need rocky soil. Think like gravel. The environment in which a grapevine is that its absolute best is on a, on a, on a sloped hillside um, with, with rocky soil underneath. Think like uh, Napa or, or Italy, or if you've been to neither of those places, think of the Okanagan, right? Like those are the kind of slopy hillsides that we're thinking of. Now here's the thing. Grapevines can actually do really well and regular soil, like if you wanted to go home today, well not today because they're not selling them in the stores, but if this summer you decided, I wanna plant a grapevine in my backyard, you could do it. And it would be alive and it'd be okay. But if you give grapevines an easy environment where there are no rocks and nothing to challenge it, it's gonna take the vegetative route. In other words, what a grapevine will do when it has nothing to challenge it's just gonna make a whole lot of beautiful leaves. And from a distance, it's going to look really beautiful, but it's going to produce nearly no fruit, no grapes. A grapevine needs rocks. It needs to struggle in order to thrive, in order to produce fruit, in order to produce fruit that isn't just good fruit, but produces eventually wines of character, And a skilled vine dresser, a good vine dresser, like our God, knows this. And so he plants a vine where it will be forced to struggle its way into fruitfulness. And I was thinking about how sometimes it can feel like where God has us planted is killing us. Like where he has us remaining is killing us. Like remaining attached to him and the thing that he's called us to is actually just hurting us more than helping us or at least it feels that way. Like the struggle is just too much of a struggle. Like we knew it was gonna be hard, Lord. We knew it. We weren't blind to it. But this level of hard, like I just wasn't prepared for this. We were not prepared for the toll on our families, the toll on our finances, the toll on our marriage, the mental and emotional toll, the stress, the loneliness. And truth be told, even though I'm staying faithful, I don't feel all that fruitful. I kind of feel flat. Like that's just kind of where I'm at. And I don't know if this is, I hope it encourages you. I hope it does. That God, our vine dresser, plants us in rocky soil on purpose because he knows that that is ultimately where we will thrive. Now, please don't misunderstand me because I just, I refuse personally, I refuse to sacrifice my family or my marriage or my children on the altar of ministry. I just refuse to do it. And I don't think that that's what God is calling any of us to. But there is a difference between difficult soil and deadly soil. And what I'm talking about today are the difficult times, the difficult soil, not the deadly soil that sometimes we just plant ourselves in. And God actually never called us there. We just got ourselves situated in it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the difficult soil that God has planted us in. Now, here's the deal that God, the good gardener, the good vine dresser doesn't desire for you and I to be on the path of least resistance as much as that might be like my inclination to be comfortable, to be in the easy, stoneless soil. And why is that? is because he doesn't want us just to bear a whole lot of beautiful leaves and have no fruit. He doesn't want us to look nice from a distance, but the closer you get to us, the more you realize they are fruitless. He wants us to bear fruit, and a lot of it, John 15 tells us. We are meant to bear much fruit to God's glory. And as I was praying this week, especially in the last couple of days, I just felt like there may be some of you who are, are who are here maybe feeling like where god has you is just so hard and that your current reality feels very rocky. And this is not a word for you. I don't don't take this word of going, well, I guess I'm supposed to just like remain at my job if you're thinking about, you know, if you've got some options before you. That's that's not the, I'm not trying to prophetically speak anything over you, except for this, that you can, need to be reminded that you can trust the vine dresser, that you can trust him. You can trust whenever he's, he sometimes, you know, he puts his hand on one thing and takes it off and puts it on another, and we follow his leading in that. But I just want to remind you that he is not just committed to seeing you make it. He's committed to seeing you thrive. He is committed to seeing you pastors and leaders bearing much fruit for his glory. And so if I could just say it to you, don't despise the rocky, hard soil. Because that is the place where the most fruitful growth happens. So we remain attached to Jesus by trusting where he's planted us, and then we also trust when he prunes us. You know what pruning is. It's, it's, it's snipping away. And I learned, again, I just, this kind of stuff just fascinates me, but I learned that pruning happens to grapevines for three primary reasons. First reason, it's injured. When a grapevine gets injured, it has to be pruned even more. And I don't know, maybe that feels a little bit backward. You know, if I'm injured, you're going to snip away even more. But I was reading a vine dresser's manual from the 1800s. It was my favorite one. It's illustrated and everything. I I have so many books I can recommend to you if you're interested in vines, vine dressers. Um, But I'm quoting now, and he said this. He said, branches that have been injured by outside forces. Injured by outside forces must be trimmed back still so as to provide for new growth to the injured part. Some of you might be here and you've been injured by some outside forces, by some things that are just out of your control. And you're hurting and maybe you're wondering why it feels like in the midst of your hurt, God is snipping away even more. Here's what I know. As I, as I studied, it's that a vine dresser who doesn't care about his grapevine will let it heal any old way. He won't tend to it. But a good vine dresser will snip away more because he is committed to not just letting the branches heal, but to ensuring that they heal well and will one day be able to bear fruit again he's committed to seeing you heal well and to bear fruit again, to bear much fruit again. The second reason that a vine dresser prunes is if a grapevine isn't bearing fruit. And we are meant to bear fruit. Um, I know I've said it, but, and, and that's what John 15 tells us, and, it, and it's obvious, I suppose. But I grew up... And maybe some of you are like this, but I grew up, I think, with the pendulum swinging so far away from pride that any talk about fruit was just, you know, it was a little uncouth. You just didn't do that. You didn't talk about fruit. But John 15 tells us that we are to bear fruit for his glory. Not for our own, for his glory. But I think maybe, maybe, the problem that we bump up against sometimes in the church is when we confuse fame for fruit. And I'm not saying that fame is bad. I'm just saying that that they're not synonymous. Some of the most impactful, fruitful followers of Jesus that I, have never, that I have ever met, you probably will never, ever hear of their names. And you probably have people like that in your own life. People that I will never met meet. People that many in this room will never hear of. People who are just faithfully doing the thing. Behind the scenes. Life on life, as my friend Krista says. We are meant to bear fruit and if we aren't, God will prune us out of kindness to trigger growth and it is a kindness to us. The third reason a vine dresser prunes a grapevine is so that a branch can bear more fruit. Interesting, I found out that pruning gets more intense the older a grapevine gets and that mature branches must be pruned hard to achieve maximum results. Um, If you're here and you're like, would consider yourself a mature branch, you know, (laughs) you might be like, man, that's awesome. That doesn't feel great. But you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking, and it's incredible actually, and it gives me so much hope that God sees older, mature vines in a vineyard and he doesn't go, let's pull that out. He's like, oh yeah. You have got a lot of life left in you yet. I'm not done with you. Let's keep pruning so you can keep bearing much fruit. I don't like. I just have this dream in my heart that until the day the Lord takes me home, that's just going to be it. That's just going to be the story. Just keep pruning so that I can keep bearing fruit. I don't want to be stagnant in this thing. I want to keep going, keep bearing fruit. He prunes us to make way for more fruit? How do we remain attached to Jesus? We trust the work of our good vine dresser, the planting and the pruning. One more interesting thing, because I just, like I told you, this kind of stuff fascinates me. But one more interesting thing I want to share with you uh, I found out that grapevines don't necessarily need other grapevines nearby to pollinate. Grapevines are called self-pollinating, which really ruined the analogy I wanted to use. I wanted to say, see, we need each other. They can't survive on their own. They have to be one by another. But that's, that's not the truth. So grapevines aren't like that. They can survive on their own. However, I did find out that grapevines bear much more fruit with other grapevines nearby. And in fact, their fruit production can increase by as much as 50%. We may not need each other in order to survive, but we need each other in order to thrive. And we need every single generation. I am just so convinced that if you have breath in your lungs, God has got good work for you to do. Older generation, sages of the faith, those who've weathered some storms and who have remained faithful, I cannot tell you how much we need you. We need you to keep teaching us, keep showing us the way, tell us your stories. And if you're in my generation, I'm, you know, that kind of middle-agey group, I would say to you, we need to have the ears to listen. I know that we know we don't know it all but sometimes we need to act a little more like it. Younger generation, we need you. And I am so glad that you're here. I am so glad. And I have a 17-year-old son. And so I'm just going to speak like a mama bear because he's kind of getting into this, you know, like life decisions and um, a little bit of talk of ministry. Shh, don't tell him I told you. Um... But our prayer for you, young people, is that you would, here at the start of this pilgrimage, be found faithful all the days of your life, that you would find yourself in love with the church, that you'd find yourself both broken and built up in the presence of God in the midst of the people of God. That you would love the bride of Christ and that you would be faithful to carry the torch of faith into days that some of us might never see. We're happy to pass whatever we've got on to you. I wanna read to you an excerpt from a friend of ours. He wrote a book, his name is Glenn Packham. He wrote a book called The Resilient Pastor. And I love Glenn. He's a great guy. And as I was reading this particular part of the book, it really encouraged me, and I just felt like it was the right way for us to end our time together. So Glenn is, in his book, he's uh, talking about that great scene in John 21, at the, end of, in, at the end of the book of John, and John 21, between Peter and Jesus. You know, the one where Jesus is asking him, do you love me, over and over again. So now I'm going to quote I'm gonna quote Glenn from his book. Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? The most important word in the question is me. You see, Jesus didn't ask Peter, Do you love the church? Do you love the ministry? Do you love my teaching? Or even, do you love the sheep? He simply asked, Do you love me? Peter's first call had been about a purpose. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But the love of a calling is not enough to keep us from falling. It wasn't enough for Peter. The love of the mission or the ministry cannot sustain us on those dark days and terrible nights. We will all, at some point, want to walk away and go back to something simpler, something easier something less complicated, less draining, and costly, unless we return to our first love. Only the love of Jesus can keep us from falling or calling it quits. Our first love is our first call, and it is not to a purpose but to a person, to Christ Jesus himself, pastor, Leader, Jesus asks you, do you love me?
1: Well, friends, that's all for today. are very grateful for Elita letting us share this message with us. And we hope that it was impactful for you as it was for us in the room. We care so much about you and are so grateful that you would listen along. We're full of hope for what God is doing in Canada. And we know that as we start this 2024 year, that there are all sorts of things vying for our attention as pastors. And I just want you to know that this is a place that we understand what it feels like to lead and pastor in our time and that you're not alone. And that there's a ton of other pastors listening along, cheering each other on, uh, full of hope for what God's doing in our time. Stay in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Bye for now.